Northumberland 89.7 is CFWN, truly local radio, serving Northumberland County, a not-for-profit volunteer community radio station. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of Reality Realty are not necessarily the views or opinions of Northumberland 89.7 FM. The information given is designed to be informative and helpful. You should always consult a professional when buying or selling your home. This is Reality Realty. Good morning, I'm Dale Bryant, and I'm a real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. And at this time each week, we bring you Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty, your local real estate forum. And this is where we take on, we talk about, and we interview guests on all things real estate with a direct focus on Northumberland County and the communities within it. Today, folks, we have something completely new we're going to try here. We're going to be looking at real estate case studies. We're going to read you uh, some facts surrounding uh, the circumstances of a real estate case that was brought to court. We're going to spend a little time speculating about how how this case could go either way, what, what may influence a judge's uh, decision, uh, the, different, the different aspects of the case, and then we will read the verdict. We will find out which case, uh, which way the judge uh, ruled in, in the cases, and we, we hope to do two of them today. So, interesting show, first time. So let's get right down to business here. And first, and, and, we're, and who are we going to have helping? I'm not going to do this all on my own, this case study. We, ha- we are bringing in Megan Adams. Uh, Megan is a lawyer with Third Street Law, and she is going to walk us through those cases. So down to business. Let's take a look at Snapshot. And Snapshot is a look at today's residential real estate market right here in Northumberland County. There has been... 116 single-family residential sales over the past month. And that's an increase of 16 sales over last week's report. We're left with an inventory of 178 residential listings for sale. And if we take a look at the average selling price of successful sales over the past year, the average selling price has increased once again, and we're up to $348,000 in Northumberland County. On average, these successful sales were receiving approximately 99% of their asking price in a market time of 44 days. Northumberland County is still in a seller's market with an absorption rate once again increasing to 65% based on the past month's sales trends. If you didn't catch these numbers, but they're of interest to you, don't worry, at the end of each month, we post them on my social media, so look me up, Dale Bryant uh, Real Estate. Look me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Google+, and you'll be able to see a summary of the month and stats for our community. How do I get these numbers? Well, I research them uh, every week, 
and calculate the absorption rate using information from List Central. And List Central is something you can't get on personally. It's the local realtor component of the MLS system. So if you're thinking of buying or selling a home, this is the kind of information you'll want. But you'll want it to be more specific to the area within Northumberland County you're looking at, the property type you're dealing with, and the price band it's in. So talk to your local realtor, and they will help you understand the Northumberland market information that's most relevant to you. And really, no one knows the Northumberland real estate market better than a Northumberland realtor who is also a member of the Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors. Today's mortgage rates. The five-year fixed is still as low as 2.59%, and a five-year variable is as low as 2.1%. They remain the same from last week, which remains the same from the week before. It's likely, I'm going to guess, we're likely about seven or eight weeks before since that uh, rate has moved. Today's mortgage rates come to us from mortgage broker Carol Ann Bryant with the Broker Financial Group. And that, folks, is your current snapshot of the residential real estate market right here in your community, Northumberland County. I would just like to remind everyone that the views and opinions expressed by me co-hosts, guests of the show, or any of the articles presented, or in this case, case studies presented, do not represent the views and opinions of the station of the Northumberland Hills Association of Realtors or any real estate brokerage or any other realtor. They're simply our views and our opinions at this time. So at this time, I'd like to introduce our guest this morning. We have, Meg, as I mentioned earlier, we have Megan Adams. Megan is a lawyer who focuses on real estate and she is practicing in Coburg at Third Street Law. Megan, good morning. Good morning, Dale. And thanks a lot for coming in today. My pleasure. So Megan, we, we were discussing just outside the studio before we came in. This is, I think this is the third time you've been on the, on the show. I believe so. Yeah. So thank you for that. And uh, really like it every time you're on. We, we, we sort of we sort of raise the bar when you come on. We we raise the standards, I, I believe. Uh, although today, what we were talking about, this is a little dicey, isn't it? We we haven't ever done this before, and it's something different. And I've never even heard it done. I I, I listen, I spy, Megan. I spy on other real estate talk shows uh, around the country and even in the U.S. and you know, I'm looking for different good ideas, and I've never heard anybody do this. I don't know where it will go. I it don't. could get wild. <laughs> yeah, so so people, uh, listen closely. Listen closely for either really good real estate information or just maybe the pure entertainment value of a crash. What you, <laughs> is that a good way to start it this? It could maybe? be. It could be. <laughs> And, and Megan, well, I get a kick out of it because in your profession, you're you're always so professional. And and I know when, with clients uh, of mine that that use you, they're always so impressed. And and now here you come into my little world, and I can drag you down just a little bit, and and uh, and and we're sort of like by you know 
what do you what do you say when you're just running running by uh, by the seat of your pants you, you can try dale <laughs> but lawyers aren't knowing for ad-libbing so okay okay well I'm gonna, i have all my paperwork here all right well i'm gonna <laughs> I, I might try a little bit <laughs> so megan last year busy busy year in the real estate industry for for a realtor we were just, you know, we we basically had a case of Red Bull on hand mm-hmm. because uh, things were so crazy and the dynamics really changed in many ways. What was it like over the past year as a lawyer, a real estate lawyer? Uh, did did anything change from previous years? It did. We are not in the trenches like you are uh, where you're clients competing and there's multiple offers and your clients telling you they want the house no matter what but we're there at the back end where no matter what might mean their financing isn't necessarily in place and while we don't find it with the locals so much when people from the city come out here and buy it seems to be a bigger issue for whatever reason mm-hmm. um, there's not clauses in the agreements to protect our purchasers uh, purchase price may have pushed the purchaser into an un- uncomfortable zone. So if there's this minor issue after closing, it puts them in a very precarious position. Uh, but we do certainly like acting for sellers. It's uh, it's a happy day, isn't <laughs> it? <laughs> yes. So in terms of acting for sellers, depending on their circumstances, it's uh, certainly the n- nicer place to be in some ways. Although for the most part, purchasers come out quite happy too, I hope. Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, they come out happy in in uh, in the way that there there isn't much inventory available, and they've successfully been able to find a home. So, you know that's better than the other six or seven people who bid on that home and didn't get it. Is it though, Dale? I think we'll talk about that today a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, Megan, we may as well just start with a first case study because I suspect. I suspect there could be a lot to it. Um, we, we're going to see. Where they're definitely, um, you you sent me some uh, links to these case studies, and and I, I can't say I I looked over them entirely because they were long. So we're going to shorten it down quite a bit. Um, but um, yeah, I think we need. I think we need all the time we can get here. Yeah, but I think we can keep it to the surface a little mm-hmm. bit. But before we start, I do want to point out, I know you mentioned this in your um, introduction, but any information we do give is information alone and shouldn't be perceived as legal advice. I am a real estate lawyer, but I don't take uh, when matters go bad. I'm not the lawyer that will go in court with you. I'm not a litigator. And when it came to choosing the cases, I w- took about an hour. I was bogged down. Do we pick the leading cases everyone relies on? Do we go to the highest court decisions? Tempted to go with the most interesting, but in terms of practicality, I went to Can Lee, which is an online library lawyers go to, looked up the most recent cases dealing with what I'll call um, caveat emptor, buyer uh, buyer beware cases, and two came up, two recent decisions, both from 2017. So I literally took those two and went with those uh, in terms of the cases we're discussing today. And they're both Ontario cases? They're both Ontario uh, Supreme Court, or sorry, they're both Ontario cases, yes, Superior Mm -hmm. Court decisions. Yeah. And very common. And the other thing I just want to point out before we get going is when people bring a claim, in the vast, vast majority of cases, they do not go to trial, probably about 95%, although I'm just pulling that out of a hat. So there's very few decisions, really, in terms of matters that might get started. And as well, if you're 
claim is for under $25,000, you will go through small claims court. And from my understanding, very few of those decisions are reported. So, but it's great we have two from 2017. Yeah, really recent. And and thank you. Thank you for finding that. And uh, and I know you're busy, and I know it was extra work to prep for something like this, Uh a different a different format that we we don't just walk into the studio and and you know completely talk off the cuff it, it took some homework so what case should we start with here megan oh why don't we go with the water damage because water damage is not <coughs> something i want to hear it's not something a realtor wants to hear but it is very very common that purchasers after closing discover there's some sort of water damage and often they'll call the lawyer Anytime there's a lot of rain, especially if ground's frozen, I dread going into work because the calls will start coming. So why don't we start mm. with the water damage? Um, Dale and I discussed before, we won't refer to names, although it is all available to the public. So we'll just call it the water damage case. All right. Do you want me to give and, you... And this is the February 17, 2017 yeah. case? Yeah. How's that for recent? I know. Hot off the press. So in this case, a purchaser purchased a home. In 2009, shortly after taking possession, she discovered her basement was leaky. Um, just the brief facts, she ends up suing the sellers on the basis that there were leaking cracks in the foundations. Uh, you always cast a large net, so she also sued her home inspector for stating the house had no significant defects. And she also um, sued her realtor, which we'll discuss briefly because it is a mm -hmm. very interesting point, but for essentially failing to advise. Um, and just a chronology. So the sellers listed their home for sale in the fall of 2009. Purchaser working with a realtor attended this property. Realtor told her it was a 10-year-old property. She put in an offer, conditional home inspection financing. Home inspection showed no significant structural issues and she waived her financing and she did move in. I don't know when it closed, but she moved in at the end of January 2010. Mm -hmm. Almost immediately, she noticed watermarks and further water damage, she contacted her home inspector, who probably doesn't want this call either, who came, and they discovered large cracks in the foundation. In March of 2010, so a couple months later, she retained a litigation lawyer to attempt to get some monies back from the sellers, um, from the sellers and other parties. Um, and it was about a $50,000 fix. I will point mm -hmm. out, just with respect to the realtor, and this just gives me the shivers, the realtor told her the house was 10 years old. Turns out the house was just under seven years old, with, which means the house was covered under the Tarion new home warranty. Right. And so up to that seven-year mark, it does cover foundational issues. Would it have covered this? I don't know. But that expired in or around April of 2010, and she didn't approach the sellers about it until after. And they said, well, you should have gone through the warranty. And lo and behold, she lost that availability. So, <clears throat> so the, the realtor... I mean, when we look at a listing, um, I, there's a, a listing I think I, I have right now, and, and it gives me an option. Uh, it gives me an option to put a range in, and I think the range uh, this home I'm thinking of is 11 to 15 years old. And so I picked that box, 11 to 15 years old. Now, any other realtor representing a buyer may only look at that range, and uh, and, and maybe that's what this realtor does. A realtor absolutely can find it the year built. Um, we we can call up a report uh, from MPAC, uh, Municipal Property Assessment Corporation, 
and we can pull a report and see the year built. We don't have to guess the years and we don't have to rely on the homeowner telling us the year. Um, I'm sure there's instances when you get an old enough home that we won't see the date maybe if we if a, a home is old enough but uh yeah so that's an interesting uh part of that the realtor put their neck out and just um also important to point out is there were no representations and warranties in the agreements i'd say it's about 50 50 when i get an agreement in where it will state the seller represents and warrants to the best of their knowledge and bil- ability um the chattels and fixtures at the property will be in good work, working order on closing. There might also be these with respect to septics, wells, and we're starting to see more of the seller represents some warrants that they're not aware of any water damage, prior water damage to the property, and that was not included in this agreement. Right, and that and that that you would find in a schedule after the agreement, a schedule A or a mm-hmm. schedule B or C or wherever, and that, that would be an, an additional clause wouldn't it yes and there was also no seller property information statement form filled out here which is something we'll discuss i think a little bit more on the next claim so again no reps and warranties were made no seller property information statement form was there so that's important too okay so so this particular purchaser buyer there you said they're suing the seller mm-hmm and, and on what grounds are they suing the seller? They are suing the seller on the basis that the seller was aware of these cracks and hid them. So like a misrepresentation or fraudulent sort of... Yes, actually, yeah. So they, they, they argued that they were obligated to disclose and secondarily they actively concealed the cracks. Okay, so... So misrepresentation. Yeah, so, so um, you know, just... And, and, and do we have all the basic facts here, Megan? I think so. Yeah. We don't need, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's likely more. And, and you know, those, those nuances, uh, those little details, oh, and that they, was just a they all do come yeah. to play, don't they? They do. And that was just a 23-page decision. So they do all come to play. But yeah. I think this is sort of the common situation you'll see. Enough. Enough. So, I mean, let's, let's start speculating. Let's start uh, guess, uh, guessing, well, you won't be guessing like I'll be guessing. So I'll do the guessing. Um, just to think about, wh- well, and, and I mean, even though you have a good idea or, or even know at this point which way the ruling goes, um, you can still talk about what could influence the judge mm-hmm. uh, on a decision either way. And, and when I think about, they're also suing the realtor for, you said, not advising, not giving uh, enough counsel on this Yes, and in order for that claim to succeed, they'll have to prove that the realtor had a duty of care to their client, and as well, they breached that duty of care and caused damage to the client. So a duty of care. Mm-hmm. How, how, would we, how would we explain what a duty of care is? Would that, I mean, my understanding, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, a duty of care would be, as, as a realtor, I need to have uh like prudent um prudent sort of approach to handling the care of my client uh doing my fiduciary duties and and basically just looking out for them because it's an agency agreement so i'm i'm representing them in 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 
every every way to protect them on this real estate transaction, right? So I'm thinking I have a responsibility. My duty of care is a, re- a responsibility, a prudent responsibility, to to do this well. And 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 I would likely be set to a standard of what a judge would think would be a normal, uh, a typical, expected uh, standard in my industry. And that's why I like you, Dale. You think about these things, and you, uh, you're really conscientious every time you're dealing with this. It's not just about making a sale. It's about looking out for the interests of your client. I'm going to cheat. The okay. standard of care does vary depending on what you're talking about without getting too legal. If I was walking down the street and you're beside me and you fell into the street and were hit by a car, do I have a standard of care to pull you off of the road? Probably not as a stranger walking beside you, but I don't know. If it was my child and that happened, would a court find I have standard of care? Probably. So it's dependent mm. on each situation. Standard of care I'm cheating with respect to real estate agents is a legal question, Dale, and it does not vary from case to case. So as the judge points out, a real estate agent must exercise the standard of care that would be expected of a reasonable and prudent agent in the same circumstances. So if you recall, this is dealing with that terrarium warranty. So would a reasonable and prudent real estate agent advise a potential purchaser of the possible existence of terrarium warranty coverage? I know you and I, Dale, both of us would suggest that yes, they probably Mm do. But I'm not going to say one way or another where it quite goes. Mm-hmm. At that point, but actually, I might as well bring up um, while we're at it, the m- leading case on this was a 2001 decision whereby a realtor double-ended. Mm-hmm. He had the seller fill out the SBIS form. Seller provided misleading information. Purchaser moved in. I believe it was water damage there as well. Purchaser had problems. Seller found liable because they had filled out the SBIS form. Mm-hmm. But then the realtor was also found 50% liable because they didn't advise their seller how to properly fill out the form. Okay. So realtors don't always get off the hook. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we, we definitely have responsibilities. Well, Megan, let's talk a bit more about this right after break. Um, and and like we likely we suspected at the beginning of the show, we got a lot of information to cover. And so... Folks, you've been listening to Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM, local real estate talk. Join Megan and myself after this break, and we're going to continue with this case study where a buyer buys the home and finds out they have water damage that they weren't aware of. Don't go away. Looking to change your mind? Grab a cup of curiosity and join me Thursdays at 12 noon. For conversation with cutting-edge thinkers that invite you to think differently about yourself and the world. Update your thinking, the Jan Sprague Show, here on Northumberland 89.7, truly local radio. My cousin Bob and I decided to quit our hustle and bustle jobs in the corporate machine and become entrepreneurs. We are now the proud owners of Curio City. Bob has always had a keen eye for Biblo. With the legal advice of Jim McGrath, we learned the best way to set up our business, plus Jim helped us understand our lease. Jim McGrath has been lawyering for over 30 years, so he knows what makes sense in business law, plus he's a real nice guy. Call Jim McGrath today at 905-373-1999 and tell him Cletus sent you. Pull up your leg warmers, button up your jean jacket, and frost your tips because the 80s and 90s are alive and well every Thursday night on the Retro Lounge. I'm your host, Earl Smitsky, and I'll be playing all of your favorite 80s and 90s music from chart-topping hits to one-hit wonders. And I'll even throw in some novelty songs from time to time. 
All this and more is waiting for you every Thursday night at 9 o'clock on the Retro Lounge, right here exclusively on Northumberland 89.7, Truly Local Radio. Welcome back. This is Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant. And our guest this morning is Megan Adams. Megan is a lawyer at Third Street Law here in Coburg. And Megan's practice focuses primarily on real estate. Megan, where were we? We were just talking about um, the in this in this case with the uh, with the buyer who moves into her home and finds out all of a sudden there's leaking in the basement that she wasn't aware of, and we were talking about the the realtor's responsibility there because the realtor is being sued in this case as well, and. Um, where do you, where go go ahead from there, Megan? Do you want to hear what happens with the realtor in this case, perhaps, and then move on to one of the other parties? Yeah. So so let me guess, let me, because I I read a lot. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess was was the realtor responsible? Should the realtor have told that client ab- about the Tarian warranty? <sighs> okay. And, and my official answer is going to be, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Should the realtor have just gotten the year of the home right? Yeah, that's easy enough to get the year of the home right. But, uh, but the issue was, should the realtor have warned the client about a possible tearing warranty before it elapsed, right? I would have thought so. Yeah, yeah. And, well, what's the judgment? What did the judge have to say? Well, the judge found the realtor was not liable, and I would suggest that if... The nuances of the case is what resulted in that. Um, at this point, the buyer was acting for herself. She didn't have a lawyer acting for her. So creating that nuanced um, legal threshold, she wasn't able to do. But he determined that he doesn't know, based on the information he had, the judge, whether the realtor breached it. But then he pointed out no evidence was brought to him to suggest that this would have been covered under Tarion anyhow. There was no witnesses that came to suggest that, yes, if this was caught, she would have been covered and put back in a position had she been aware. So the realtor was um, off the hook because he wasn't found to have had a duty of care. Not that he didn't, but it just was not established. And as well, who's to say if that Terran warranty uh, was still in place, whether it should be covered. And, and yeah, and now now that that uh, triggers a memory for me when I was looking over this case um, briefly, it's more than a real estate um, sort of lesson here. It, this is also um, a court, a, a, a legal lesson because this this lady started off with some representation, I remember, and then at some point she started to represent herself. And and in my reading, it, it sounded like the judge was sort of trying to, I don't know, cut her a little slack, but he 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 couldn't completely. He had to, he had to, you know, go by protocol, and and she really didn't establish a duty of care, which a which a lawyer, a litigation lawyer, would have known to do. Is that is that not correct? Uh, I would say that is correct. Threshold is high. It's buyer beware is the starting position with respect to buying a used home. That is the threshold, and it's a very difficult threshold to get by. So she went into this with a claim of under $50,000, and she would have spent well over that if she had representation, I would think. It's just it's unfortunate circumstances all around. But the judgment could have been different. 
had she had proper representation, possibly? It may have. I don't yeah. I don't have my crystal ball with me, and yeah. that's the problem with what we do for a living is we can't break out those crystal balls and see what would happen. We just don't know. It is so fact-based. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said to you at the break, any sort of litigation, it's like Vegas. You really don't know where things will go, but you really do need that legal representation. Right. All right. The next the next claim is against who? Who are we handling Let's pick now? On the, do you want to pick on the seller? Pick on the <laughs> pick on the seller. Let's right. look at That's the seller. <laughs> yeah. All right. So here was a poor seller. They just wanted to sell their house. They sold their house, got their money, and a uh, you know a few months later they got a letter from a lawyer saying, "Pay up. There's water damage," and they said rely on the Tarion warranty, which had expired, and it ended up going all the way to trial. So the question with the seller, it's twofold. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's buyer beware, caveat emptor. Um, and that I did quote sort of the history of what it means. Absent fraud, mistake, or misrepresentation, a purchaser takes an existing property as he finds it, whether it be dilapidated, bug infested, or otherwise uninhabitable or deficient in expected amenities unless he protects himself by contractual terms. So it goes two ways. Um, by contract, you can protect yourself. And if you recall, I said there's no reps and warranties given in this case, no SBIS form filled, quite a basic um, agreement. And so then the next question is the caveat emptor. Uh, it gets, it's a little bit more nuanced, and I probably should have brushed up a little more because we go through this with clients at least on a buy every other month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, did the seller, was the seller aware of the water damage? Did they hide it? And then from there, the judge might make a decision. So that's where we're at. Yeah, okay. I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be telling you. I haven't, I haven't given away, well, have well, I? I don't think so. I, if you did, I wasn't no, fast I enough. I, I wasn't fast no. enough to catch it. So uh, one of the things that we should cover right now, I think, uh, Megan, is there's a couple different uh, what we would refer to as defects. There's a latent defect mm-hmm. and a patent defect. And, and my understanding of, of those is if it's a patent defect, that's something that's obvious. That's something that if you're walking through the house and looking closely at it, you will see it. It'll be patent. It'll be in your face. And, and, and a seller doesn't have to make you aware of that uh, patent defect because you should be able to see it for yourself and that's where caveat emptor would see it for yourself or in a home inspection it or might not a be home a gaping, gaping hole in a wall but it might right. be a 30 year old roof that yeah mm-hmm. and and then a latent defect i understand as being something that isn't obvious it, it could be something well uh, speaking of water it could be something that the basement leaks uh you know for a few weeks every spring when the snow thaws and we get our april showers and so if somebody's buying in may there might not be any any visible proof of that Mm -hmm. to to the buyer or the inspector so those that's how i understand the two differences and then with the patent defect it goes into two or sorry with the latent defect it goes into two more Um, parts. There's Mm -hmm. the latent defects you cannot see, and then there's the latent defects you cannot see but render the property unfit for habitation or dangerous. And there is a breakdown as well. If there's a latent defect that a seller is aware of but no one asks them the question, they don't need to report it. But if there's a latent defect that would be deemed dangerous, so I mean, we're lawyers, we pull things Mm -hmm. in, so I would suggest water damage is dangerous because it can create mold. That's my position, but I wouldn't want to see it. And so, but latent defects do not have to be disclosed unless 
they're deemed dangerous, which is an interesting one that we don't always think about. And and maybe and 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 I think I caught something else in there too. Maybe a third thing is a latent defect that's been covered up. You're if right. you if you cover up anything latent yes. or patent, then you can be held liable. That's and a cover up's different than a fix. Like if you fix something, so you take away the source of whatever the problem was, mm-hmm. and then you fix whatever finishes it may have damaged. Mm-hmm. So you. You basically remediate the entire problem mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just covering up. So if you have that water that comes in every spring and all you do is you just paint over the staining so nobody can see it, uh, that would more like be a cover-up, right? You'd think so. So in this case here, we had sellers. They sold the home. No one asked them questions about the water. There's no reps and warranties given. Um, and the facts seem to suggest, or the judge took from the facts, that there were a couple home inspections. There was probably stuff against the wall in the basement, which is common, but it didn't appear that the seller intentionally concealed anything. The judge wasn't able to find that evidence. So here we're working with latent defects being water seepage, but we're not concealed. And we're not concealed. We're not hidden. And so the seller is saying, I had no responsibility to uh, tell the buyer. Mm-hmm. What do you think happened? I would, I would hope. I'm going to just say I would hope that the that the seller had a responsibility to disclose it. You are wrong. Yeah, what so I hope and what's true <laughs> is different. So the way the judge looked at it. Was the seller likely aware there were water damage? The judge determined that yes, they probably were just from the evidence that it happened immediately after closing. Um, was it concealed? The judge said no, it wasn't concealed. It, and then I suppose the last thing, I don't know if they went into much detail, but was this latent defect enough to render the property unfit or dangerous? And judge must have said no. So the seller was not found liable. So, so far, realtor is not liable. Mm-hmm. Seller is not <laughs> liable. Everybody loves to throw the home inspector under the bus. How did? Usually it's the lawyer, Dale. <laughs> Usually it's the lawyer. Okay, so so what what? Uh, and I'm assuming the beef with the home inspector is that they didn't find it either. They didn't see yes. any evidence that water had been through or or could come through. Mm-hmm. So, what what's the? I mean, were there actual vis- visual cracks? In the foundation or a hole or? The evidence seems to suggest that there were vis- visual, visible cracks that you could have seen. Um, but she, but the home inspector must not have pointed this out as part of his home inspection or seen. Um, yeah, and he, the home inspector argued the cracks weren't visible. So it becomes an issue of fact here. And the judge deemed that, yes, I think the cracks would have been visible had he done his due diligence. Okay, so the so the judge is saying, I disagree with you, home inspector. You should have seen some cracks, so how did the judge rule then? What do you think? Well, I'm going to say if the judge said you should have saw cracks, is um, it would be guilty as charged. Well, and they went into standard of care issues here. What's the standard of care for a home inspector? And I won't go into too much detail about this, um, but if, I mean, 
takeout realtor put in the word home inspector, what would a reasonable and prudent home inspector have done in the same circumstances? He would deemed home inspector would have found this issue. So the home inspector was found liable for failing to inspect the visible exterior portion of foundation where he would have found the issue. Um, so his inspection was negligent and he was found in breach. But it gets good. Are you ready for that? Yeah, go ahead. So most home inspection, I, I believe... All home inspection reports, or home inspector, when you sign a contract, it will limit the liability of the home inspector. Usually it's limited to the amount you paid for the inspection. So I assume the um, purchaser paid $325 for the inspection because there was an exclusion clause in the agreement she signed with the home inspector that said any claim against him would be limited to $325. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure claims exist out there where, uh, unless I've just where judges find that you cannot contract out of gross negligence or fraud. And so home inspectors mm-hmm. have been pulled in for more. But in this case, this poor plaintiff who went through all of this from 2009 until 2017, she was awarded $325. The price of her home, home inspection. Mm-hmm. Because there was something in the contract with the home inspector to limit their liability mm-hmm. to that amount. Wow. So the winner, if you really think about it, it's probably the home inspector's insurance company, because I wonder if um, home inspectors have liability insurance that may have covered it if there was significant issues. But that's mm-hmm. neither here nor there, but sellers off, realtors off, home inspectors on, but limited to $325. If you're, for this poor purchaser, anytime we're involved in our own transaction, we need to take responsibility first for what we're doing. We can mm-hmm. look to our advisors, but we need to we need to do our due diligence yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, I guess a message to uh, realtors and home inspectors also. I mean, it, it went to court, so it, it wasn't a it wasn't a slam dunk one way or the other. So do your job, do your job well. Also, yeah. yeah. Well, Megan, what's our what's our next case? Okay, so I'll, I'll go through this. So that's the one um, th- didn't go well for the buyer. This case, uh, water damage is often a major one. Next major cases are often wells and septic. So this case, Mm. there's a few other points, but I think if we can fixate on the well and septic, that would be optimal. So in this case, uh, I don't know what it is about fall of 2009. Both cases, that's when the properties were purchased. But in this case, purchasers bought a beautiful home. They called it their dream property. They overpaid what they had available to them. Two days after closing, they detected bad smell from their well. Well problems persisted. So that's one issue. And then this is my favorite part. At some point, a third party came up to them and said, hey, I was looking to put in an offer on this property. Did you know your septic tank's inadequate for your use? And they started looking into it, and it turned out their septic tank. So the long and the short of it is they purchased a family home, but there was also a loft built over the garage for a tenant. Septic tank was built basically just for enough stuff for the single family dwelling and not the loft and so it had some major issues their damages were about $150,000 they claimed so so we have two claims two claims we're going to cover here yeah. one is uh, they bought a place and they found out once they moved in the the water wasn't potable it mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't acceptable for uh, for use and also the septic system was uh, was underrated to cover the house, the two or three bedroom home, mm-hmm. in addition to the loft, the apartment that they wanted to rent above the garage. Because I understand they were counting on that rental income yes. to help s- subsidize their mortgage. Which brings us to some of the points that become at issue. 
uh, they, they were relying on that and the MLS rep- the MLS viewing the purchaser saw when they looked at the property included a detached triple garage with loft guest apartment. Um, and in this case, the purchasers did put in an offer. The agreement included an inspection condition and also the, ins- the seller agreed to install a new septic system adequate for the property. And representations and warranties were given that to the best of the seller's knowledge and belief, the septic system would be in good working order. Um, enough to service the property, et cetera, on closing. And with respect to the well, a water test was to be provided. And there was also an SBIS form completed by the sellers where the seller stated there's no structural issues, there are no plumbing issues, and they was just a little bit shady, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of gray areas in there, isn't there? Well, well Megan, we're going to take a break. Folks, we, we have a lot to uncover on this case study where, where the buyer finds the water that they thought was acceptable for use is not acceptable once they move in. And they also discover that their septic system isn't adequate to, uh, to function properly for their house plus the apartment above the uh, garage. And, and it sounds like what Megan said A third party comes in and had even talked to the seller about the inadequacy of the septic system before this party ever bought it. So the seller was some, it had been brought to their attention anyways. That's a good point. Yeah, so we will will get back right after the short break and start to uh, walk through and uncover the different aspects of this real estate case study. Don't go away. It's Canada, it's cold out there, and thousands across our country live in poverty and at risk of homelessness. That's why on February 25th, over 20,000 Canadians will bundle up and walk in the seventh annual Coldest Night of the Year. Coldest Night is a two and a half or 10 kilometer walk that raises funds for charities serving the hungry, homeless, and hurting. In Northumberland County, walkers will raise funds for Greenwood Coalition, a local charity helping those in the most need. Sign up your team today or sponsor a walker at coldestnightoftheyear.org. Invite your friends, family, and coworkers to join you on February 25th. And remember, it's cold out there. If you would like to hear your business broadcast across Northumberland County, advertise with us. Northumberland 89.7. Hi, I'm Ben Bird. Join me and Dave Glover on Mondays at 4 during the drive time for the Bird Report Live right here on Northumberland 89.7. Welcome back. This is your local real estate forum, Northumberland 89.7 FM's Reality Realty with Dale Bryant. And our guest today is Megan Adams. Megan is a lawyer at Third Street Law, and Megan's practice is focus on, focuses on real estate. Before the break, Megan, we started into this case study, and there were more claims in this uh, to this case study, but we're just focusing on two. One, the buyer uh, moves in and finds out the water is no good. Um, I think the water um, was it, it was stinky, and the water would would go black at times and just stain everything it touched. Um, and and they said sometimes even for a shower they had to run the water for ten minutes. The new buyers had to run the water for ten minutes before the black would go out of the water. So we got a water issue, and then we got a septic issue. And the septic issue is that the the septic uh, system 
is not adequate to handle the home, which was a two or three bedroom home, plus an apartment, an income um, generating apartment above the garage, which the buyer was counting on being able to use to pay their mortgage payments. So where are we where are we at now in this walkthrough process Megan? give me a minute and i'll give you what the purchaser's position was what the seller's position was and see what you think all right so the purchaser's position was the seller installed the septic system themselves but the seller in providing the information to the septic system installers didn't give them adequate information they failed to mention it was also to cover the loft apartment so the installer thought they only had to install a, a system adequate for the home they didn't know about yes, an extra apartment. And, not, and we won't go into too much detail, but the municipality, same thing. And mm-hmm. they said the seller breached the agreement by making fraudulent or negligent misrepresentations, which forced, uh, in, resulted in the purchasers buying the property. And the purchasers also said that the seller, defendant, did not fill out the SPIS form correctly. So the seller starts at where our common base is, caveat emptor, buyer by beware. Seller says, purchaser, you failed to do your due diligence. You should have looked into this yourself. You shouldn't rely on anything we say. And the seller also said we weren't aware of any issues. So when we represent a warrant to the best of our knowledge and belief, we believe that. So, so we they believed well, that the, they're, they're stating they believe that the septic system was adequate. That's their position. And, and are we only talking about the septic system right now? With respect to the well... Uh, I don't. Th- the seller said, "Buyer, you did your own well test. It came back fine." Yeah, they did. Their uh, their realtor, the buyer's realtor, took a, a sample. Dale, does it? I I wondered about this. I thought, is it possible a realtor would ever say that property's far away? I just can't go out there. I don't have enough time, or I'm kind of worried. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of Dicey. a dark horse. Maybe I'll just go to the local McDonald's and get water from there. Oh my goodness. Okay. I don't don't answer uh, it then. I, this is something I, we'll bring up I, at the end. Okay. Well, uh, no, I may as well just answer that. I I would really hope that would never happen. Um, I I can't imagine anybody thinking that that makes sense. How about this, Dale? But 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 if you can think it, it can happen. But, well, what happens if I always find it's crazy when the seller is obligated to provide a water test? I wouldn't I wouldn't trust a water test coming from a seller. They can go get water anywhere if they know they've had water issues. They can trot on down to the local McDonald's. So I, I hate to yeah, be it, thinking that way, but and and you're absolutely right. I I would <clears throat> I would think the seller would provide it every time, but sometimes I I know it's a is a time thing because the condition only has for the for the water test to come back in so many days, <sighs> and then and then maybe the buyer is uh, out of town, and so they say, you know what, it, it, get the seller to. Uh, you know, get the water tests because they can they can grab a test today and have it at the you know the health unit by tomorrow or later today. So it's a trusting point. But in that this is. case, the the seller made no representations and warranties in the agreement stating the well water was good. It simply stated purchaser did their own test is what ended up mm-hmm. happening. So what do you think happens? Do you want to talk about the septic system first or the well? Well, let's let's talk about septic system. Um, I think. I think with the septic system, and, and the suit is against the seller only in this one. The, yeah. real, the realtor seems to be not on the hook here. No. Right? I, no. So I, I would think the seller, because they were approached by that other third party the, to make them aware that this potentially, but this third party wasn't an authority, I don't think. It was just uh, another potential buyer, right? Um, they were aware that this septic system, it 
possibly was not adequate and they didn't do anything about looking into it and then they were also advertising this house as having an income potential with that apartment i gotta think that the uh that the seller is responsible for this well there were a lot of witnesses there was that rogue third party who came in mm. to the woodworks the municipality was represented from the municipality was brought in as a witness someone from the septic system company and it became clear pretty fast that the people installing the tank were unaware of the capacity it needed to be they understood it had to be for just the one resident so the seller did fail to provide them with information um, by a third party approaching them and saying, hey, you have a problem. They should have looked into it. Um, and But at the end, they were found liable with respect to the septic system for providing inadequate information to the installer by not disclosing the third, the loft mm. apartment. They failed to comply with building code regulations. They didn't listen to that third party. And they said, we, we, we believed what we believed, but the judge in this 50-page judgment clearly felt they came in with um, their hands were not clean. And okay. so they couldn't rely on the veil of caveat emptor here. So with, And we'll talk about judge um, what the damages were awarded at the end. Okay. But the sellers were found liable for the septic system by virtue of the fact that they did, had made those representations and warranties in the agreement and they had falsified the SPIS form. So come down to that, they were found liable. Mm-hmm. And then the water. What do you think about the water? The water, so so the buyer did do a water test. Uh, the the buyer the buyer had the buyer's realtor do the water test. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So they had a water test. Um, as something else we didn't mention, I I um I believe I read in there that the buyer at one point was with somebody else, family or friend or something, and they actually tasted the water. They drank a little bit of the water. They tasted the water, and they made a comment that this water is good. It, it tastes good. It's 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 as clean as boiled water. I think it was one of the comments they made. So I'm thinking if if they did the test, and that is the only thing that was in the contract was it was contingent on a, a water test, and they, you know, it was obvious from the facts that they'd even tasted it. I gotta think that maybe the seller is not on the hook for the water. And you're right. So the seller was not found liable there. There's just not enough evidence. There's no reps and warranties in the agreement with respect to the well. I, the SBIS form, there's there's no indication that the seller was lying. There just wasn't the proof and evidence that was there. So at the end of the day, the seller was liable for damages just under $48,000 of the purchaser's $150,000 claim. So that would that would get eaten up in legal fees. So, Real, so yeah, so $150,000 claim... They only got 48000 of it, mm-hmm. and, and you think the litigation legal fees would have well, would t- have pretty much typic- eaten up that? Typically, the winner gets some portion of their fees paid for on generally a partial indemnity basis, so about 60% of the uh, purchaser's legals would probably be paid by the seller. But, I mean, for a trial uh, with a 50-page judgment, I, I don't know if they came out ahead, especially after eight years of litigation. So, so is it... Is it is it wise? I mean, when when do you know what whether to take something like this to court or not? Go see a real estate litigator. I did pull the closest thing I came up with was a 2007 study that suggested that to get to trial and have a three day trial costs an average of sixty thousand dollars in legal fees for each party. 
So you, you're, and it's time, it's stress. And oh. so, and so yeah. what the bottom line is for us is we don't have that crystal ball. Do we have a couple minutes just to suggest both you and I, what we can yeah, we absolutely. do for our clients? We, we do. So even pointing out with respect to the purchasers in the s- septic system case who won $50,000 after eight years, I'd love to talk to them and say, do, do you feel you came out? Because anything I've experienced, it, it, you don't want to be there. Um, so it's just turns to what should you do, especially in this market. This is a dangerous market. If you're selling, mm. you're in a market where you can probably disclose some of these issues to be safe and be honest and upfront because it, may, it probably won't result in a loss of your sale price, I would think, to, for most parts and because so many people are interested in the property. And I know you and I talked about the seller property information statement form. Mm-hmm. As a seller, it's just rife with liability issues that we just don't know and we don't see. And Dale said it's his point. He's never had a client sign one in his life. When I act for a purchaser and I find out they exist after closing, I'm quite joyful. It, it's a great piece to take should you go the litigation route. If I'm acting for a seller, I'm pretty upset to see them signed. And talk to your talk to your lawyer to see what's in there. If there's representations and warranties, find out what that means. If they're made to the best of your knowledge and belief, find out what that means. Just go in with open eyes as to what litigation might happen if you sell and you're not upfront. And just be upfront. And when you're buying, especially in this market, I don't know what to say because if you do everything I say, you might tell me, Dale, that someone's not going to get the house. But get a home inspection done. And if you don't, just know what the cost is of potential issues. Yeah, it's, you know what, uh, my pat answer for everyone I deal with, every client I deal with, is I recommend a home inspection. Because, you know what, you're you're negotiating for, you know, maybe $5,000. Maybe $5,000 is separating uh, the, the sale price uh, from, you know, this transaction happening or not. But yet, you don't do a home inspection and and we saw here there were claims for 150,000 so yeah. you're all concerned about 5,000 but you skip the home inspection and it may cost you 150,000 so so my pat answer is get get your home inspected uh but then again I totally understand people who don't because they they could be a year two years later in markets like this and they still don't have a home so go in with your eyes wide open or, and have and put in viewing so that you can get to the property a day before closing so mm-hmm. that if it's um, leaked before then, you can get a sense. And get as many of those reps and warranties clauses put in the agreement that you possibly can. We like to see them, but again, if you're at the negotiating table, I understand if it's not possible, but just be aware of the potential issues. Well, Megan, this was a good day. We covered a lot fast. It's almost like we could have just done one of these case studies today. But but there are great two great points is it can go either way. Mm-hmm. And it's very nuanced and based on the facts and just protect yourself as best you can before you dive in. Yeah. It's scary. Does it give you anxiety? Ooh. It does a little bit. <laughs> it does a little <laughs> bit. Know, it's interesting to talk about, but we don't want to find our clients there or ourselves there. It's just an no. awful place to be. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining us again today and uh so much great information and insight into how where the responsibilities may lie for a realtor for a seller for a buyer for a home inspector for a brokerage um, if if somebody is interested in contacting you about a real estate transaction where what's the best way to get in contact our number is 905-372-3773 or we're online at thirdstreetlaw.ca well, thank you so much, Megan, for coming again. And, and 
Are we going to do this again? Do we you have think? fun, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> we do have fun. We do have fun. If we're not doing it here, we're doing it at lunch, so might as well. Yeah, yeah, we all, <laughs> yeah, we can't shut off. But, <laughs> folks, if you have any questions or comments about today's show or for any real estate questions, feel free to also contact me by emailing dale at dalebryant.ca or call into the station at 905-372-2391, and you can leave me a message, and they'll make sure I get it. Don't forget to join me, Dale Bryant. I'm an active real estate broker with Royal LePage Pro Alliance Realty Brokerage. Join me next Thursday from 11 a.m. until 12 noon for Reality Realty on Northumberland 89.7 FM, truly local radio. Until next week, folks. <laughs>